And when we finally turn the page and there's one more little sliver of the day, we hear, we hear God speak. God finds us in the margins of our life. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. I uh, have had the privilege this year of coaching uh, little dribblers, what we used to call it, but it's uh, our, our Sweetwater Youth Basketball League, Sweetwater Area. And so my particular team is uh, first and second grade girls. So six and seven year old girls, if you just kind of just, you know, take your, transport yourself there. And we're playing three on three. We're learning the fundamentals of the game. And it's just so much fun. It's just constant discovery. I mean, you can hardly care what the score is because there's just so much happening around you. And you just, it's all constant discovery. And so yesterday, there was this one girl, and she, you could tell, you know, it's like there's always the kid on the team that wants the ball. And they want the ball so bad, if they ever get it, you're not getting it back. And then, and then there's always the kid on the team that doesn't want the ball. And they will go anywhere on the court to avoid getting the ball. So one of those particular girls was, in, was there, and there's all the little shuffle. And the ball goes up, and it's a shot. And, you know, you don't have a long re- lot of long rebounds because they're typically shorter shots, so they kind of all fall. Well, this, somebody just chunked one. And so it, it goes and it lands just right on the back of the rim where it bounces back pretty far. And this one little girl that thought she was clear of all participation finds the ball coming at her face. And so she reaches up, and she grabs the ball, and she immediately looks around like, well, what do I do now? <laughs> and everybody, and so, of course, everyone in the stands has an opinion about what she should do. The coach has an opinion about what she should do. All her players, and the poor kid just is looking around going, I hear 47 of you talking to me, and I don't know what to do. And she just kind of went, ah, and she just, you know, passed the ball to somebody else. And it was great. It was this eureka moment where she discovered something that she didn't expect to find. And so uh, it's that eureka moment where you just, you see what you didn't expect to see. And we love to make discoveries. You know, as human beings, one of the greatest gifts of being alive is making discoveries. And sometimes it's learning a new word. Sometimes it's watching a grandchild learn a new word or make a sound. Sometimes it's learning a new skill. Sometimes it's finding your way in the mountains when you thought you were lost. Some discoveries, of course, are pleasant. Uh, while others are frustrating and very often disappointing. And so this text invites us to consider that God has been in the discovery business from the beginning. God has perfect knowledge of us, and from time to time, the best way to describe our experience of God is, God found me. God found me. Our catechisms and our basic instruction of the Christian faith teach us that God is, the fancy word we use for this is omniscient. Omni, all, the omniscient part is science or knowledge. So God is all-knowing. We'll say God is omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's everywhere. And God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. And he knows everything. And sometimes this understanding, this reminder that God is all-knowing is kind of like, it's like distant news for us. It's far away news. It's sort of the same effect as like Santa Claus is watching you. 
So as we, we take the same impression. We're like, okay, God knows everything. Santa Claus is watching me. I'm over it. You know, I've, I've, I've learned to live with it by now. Um, and so sometimes it's when you learn that God knows everything perfectly, including about me and about you, uh, sometimes it's like that moment where you're talking to your mom and dad and they ask you the next day, hey, how was it over there in such and such place? And you realize you did not disclose your presence at such and such place, leading you to believe that they found out some other way. And they look at you and they smile and they say, son, I know everything that happens in this town. <laughs> and you go, oh no, oh no. Um, so those kind of discoveries are not always uh, pleasant. We laugh about it. But scripture reminds us that while uh, God's perfect knowledge of us is something to be celebrated, uh, it's something that fills us with awe and wonder and appreciation. And I have to say that I got a chance, I basically got a sermon before the sermon this morning by teaching our youth Sunday school class. So we did a Bible study this morning on Psalm 139 and on God's knowledge of us. And I'm going to tell you, every single young man and young woman in the room made an observation and called out something from the text that I wrote down. They all observed these things. And we were looking together at just this manifold knowledge of what it's like to encounter the reality that God knows you, that God is thinking thoughts about you. And the psalmist says, there's so much, God, your thoughts about me are too vast to comprehend. You know when I stand up. You know when I sit down. You know when I lie down. You know when I'm afraid. You know when I'm running away. And even when I try to run away, I can't run away because you follow me wherever I go. And so even when I feel lost, I'm not lost because you're there with me. And, and so I'm watching as there, all these things are firing in the room and I learned so much. So I just have to say thank you again to our youth this morning for uh, teaching me and reminding me of what this is like. But even when we've created distance from God through our actions and our thoughts and what we have left undone, the nearness of God and God's perfect knowledge should bring us a strong sense of comfort and hope. So when we say God is omniscient, God knows everything about you, we should say, whew, that's good. <laughs> good. All right. I'm not alone. Here we go. And so we, we look at this great text that Becky read for us, and, you know, Jesus finds Philip, and then he presents this image of God, of a God, who is willing to be found as well. You know, we don't always think about that. God's searching for us, and he finds us, and then he reveals himself in such a way that says, and hey, I don't mind if you guys find me. In fact, uh, I strongly encourage it. And it's great when you do. And I'm not trying to play hide and seek with you. And so both Philip and Nathaniel make discoveries regarding Jesus uh, through this realization that Jesus has found them. And it's beautiful. So this uh, got me thinking about being found and finding this week and that word eureka because the Greek word where we see Jesus finding uh, Philip and then Philip finding Nathaniel, it's, it's where we get the word eureka. It's eurisco. And it just means that he, he, there was a great discovery. And so Jesus finds Philip. Philip finds Nathaniel. And then Philip tells Nathaniel, hey, come and see because we have found the one that Moses wrote about. And the one that all the prophets wrote about. It's like he can't even get all the words out. He's like, the, the Moses and the, and, and the whole thing. And we found the one. We found the, the one that everybody wrote about. This is, this is the real deal. This is not a test drive. Uh, we are in the right spot. And so 
it's just beautiful how it unfolds. And, you know, being people who are from more rural areas and kind of smaller towns, and it's just, it's all these little names, these beautiful little places. Well, this is so-and-so, and he was from over here. No, they, he was from Bethsaida, which is also uh, where Andrew and Peter are from. It's like the town of fishermen, and, and we have this Nazareth town, and it, can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, Snyder? Can anything good come from Snyder? Or where I grew up, it was San Hone. You know, if you'd said there's this great thing that's come out of San Hone, I would have said, no, you're wrong. You misheard. Your intel is bad. Nothing good can come out of San Juan. And so there, there's all this discovery of the actual places that we live and where God finds us. And so, yeah, Philip exclaims. He says, Nathaniel, you've got to come and see. And Nathaniel says, no, there's nothing good that can come out of Nazareth. And Philip said, well, just come and see. Give it a shot. And we know that Nathaniel takes him for, uh, you know, he takes his word as good and he goes because the very next thing that happens is when Jesus sees Nathanael coming towards him, so he's moving, uh, he then says, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And this is one of those places where we really have to understand, we have to remember these Old Testament stories in order to really understand the New Testament because that's the context that it's written in. And so what Jesus is saying to Nathanael, and by saying there's no deceit, who is it in the Bible that is associated with, when you call it his name, deceit? It's Jacob, right? Jacob. And so it's like Jesus is saying to Nathanael, ah, a true Israelite, all Israel, no Jacob, right? This is the, the renamed Jacob. This is Israel. There's no deceit in this person. And you're, you're the man for the job, and you're going to follow me. And he doesn't say this here, but you're gonna, I'm going to make you fishers of men, right? You're going to be about this. All Israel, no Jacob. And that's the first reference kind of to the Jacob story, but we're going to get another one here in a minute. And Nathaniel says what we would all say when Jesus says, ah, Nathaniel, here you are, uh, an Israelite. There's no deceit. Nathaniel says, how do you know me? Right? What, how, how in the world do you know who I've never met you before? So how, did, how do you know me? And Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. How do you know me, Jesus? And Jesus says, Well, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And we don't know about the fig tree. But this is, this is one of those great places where John doesn't take the time to explain to us about the fig tree. It's just, it's like we're meant to go to our own a version of the shady fig tree on a hot day and imagine ourselves there in those places where we feel like no one sees us and no one knows us and we're undiscoverable who we really are and Jesus says when yeah when you were under the fig tree I saw you and Nathaniel just he's floored and he says oh my goodness rabbi you are the son of god you are the king of israel it says, you're a true Israelite, Nathaniel, no deceit. And then Nathaniel says, and you're the king of Israel. It's this exchange, this I've been found and now I've found you and you're the king of Israel and you're the, you're the fulfillment of all of my hopes. Since I was a baby boy and I was learning to pray, we've been waiting for you and here you are. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And we'll pick that up in a minute. 
it, this, this is the point where he's, he's talking directly to Nathaniel, and then the verb changes, the verb tense changes, and he doesn't say, okay, now you, Nathaniel, you're going to see greater things, but he switches to y'all. He says, okay, now y'all, all, all y'all are going to see greater things than these. If you think it's great that I saw you under the fig tree and I had this prior knowledge of you, you're going to see, y'all are going to see greater things than this. There's this picture in verse 51. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, uh, this is a common thing that John likes to write this way. It's, it's, it's the old King James would say, verily, verily, I say unto thee, right? Uh, or truly, truly, or amen, amen. It's kind of how it's, it's a hard thing to translate, but it's just it's, with certainty, I tell you. And Jesus says, this is, uses it a lot in John's gospel, and this is the first time we see it. I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And so we're, now, our, now our imagination is fully keyed in. And we saw Jacob, we saw this reference to Jacob, and now we remember Jacob's dream. We remember Jacob's story, right? Where Jacob is running away and, and running for his life, and God meets him in this place that he names Bethel. And, it's, and he has this vision, right? Uh, before he has this great conversion, this name change from Jacob to Israel, he has this vision of, of, of God, and there's these angels, and there's this ladder that connects heaven and earth, and the angels are ascending and descending, and it's this beautiful vision, and it's like Jesus recalls that, and he brings it back into the conversation as this huge moment in their story, in their history, when people were finding out what they were supposed to do. They were finding out that they weren't alone. They were finding out that they, were, uh, that they had new names available and that God had a purpose for them. And it's almost like Jesus is saying, Nathaniel, you're great. And I know everything about you. And I'm just telling you, in you, there's no deceit. And I, I just love what I see here. I've known you from before you were born. I have perfect knowledge of you. And if you think my perfect knowledge of you is great, wait until you see the mission that I have for you. Wait until you see that you're not alone, that you're not the only Jacob getting a name change around here. You're not the only one that has something else. That All of my followers, y'all are all going to be like Jacob. Y'all are all going to see this kind of stuff. You're going to see a connection between heaven and earth that you never even dreamed of. And y'all are going to work together as my followers, and you're going to bring other people in a vision. It's not just going to be Israelites anymore. It's not just going to be Jacob anymore. But everyone is going to see heaven come to earth. It's the prayer we pray in the Lord's Prayer, right? It's, it's your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's like Jesus is saying, Nathaniel, you're going to see greater things. All y'all are going to see greater things when you're engaged in this work because I am here. There's even one of our great hymns uh, called Beneath the Cross of Jesus that makes a reference to the patriarch Jacob and this connection, this ladder to heaven. And the writer of this hymn, she makes a reference to the cross. And she says, it's now the cross that allows me to move between heaven and earth. And she's exactly right. That's exactly what's happening here. You know, because one response to God's knowledge of us, and this is one that we all know really well. We don't even have to rehearse it. We know it so well. And it's the response of Adam, 
Right, it's the response of Eve. What happens when they find out that God has perfect knowledge of them uh, post-fall in the garden? What, what do they do? They hide. They go, oh, you know me. I don't want you to know me. Adios. Right, and we check out. We go somewhere. we like, I don't want God to see everything that is inside of me. And so we attempt to hide. And we do everything we can to, uh, to try to avoid that. What we feel like sometimes is like a punitive microscope. Instead, of course, God is like the perfect surgeon, right? It's this image of Jesus as a healer, and he's, he sees perfectly, so he's the one that can make the perfect healing repair, and we're hiding and running away. And so, by the cross, Jesus has demonstrated perfect grace through perfect knowledge of us, and we no longer, when we find that out, feel the need to hide, or we no longer feel the need to mask or to hope that we can escape God's glance, but instead we find healing, we find forgiveness, we find uh, that God gazing upon us is good news. You know, we sing the hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. And it's almost like when we contemplate this way, we remember that Jesus is gazing upon us. It's that the eyes of God are upon you and upon me, and it's bringing us somehow some good news that we have previously missed. I was having a conversation on the phone this week where I was needing to learn, and so I had my notepad out, and I was taking very uh, detailed notes. And none of you can read it, but it's very detailed to me, and I, I can read it, and that's what matters. So I'm scratching it out, and I'm trying to keep up with the flow of the conversation. And I get to the bottom of my page, and it was in that moment that I had the greatest epiphany of the whole conversation. And I like momentarily panicked, as though there's not enough paper in my office to write on. And I said, I'm out of paper. I'm at the bottom of my page. My entire page is full. And I was like, oh, thanks be to God, there are margins. And so I turned, I turned my notebook this way, and, and this is why they taught us as kids to not write in the margins, you know, because you never know when you might need to go back and make the note. We have this existential dread that some teacher's going to come along behind us and write in red pen in the margins, but it's like the margins are for me now. No one else is using them. So I turn it, and, I'm write, and I write the greatest discovery of the day in the big old margin. And as I wrote that down, I thought, this is what it's like. This is how God finds us. We fill our days and our hours and our moments completely so there's no room. And when we finally turn the page and there's one more little sliver of the day, we hear, we hear God speak. God finds us in the margins of our life. You know, it's that moment where the coffee is brewing and there's no screen and you close your eyes and you just imagine uh, God's thoughts about you. It's the moment where you're driving down the road and everything's off and it's quiet and, and you notice something you didn't notice before. It's you're standing outside and you hear, you hear the sandhill cranes in the dark that you can't see and you're just reminded of the vastness of God's creation. And it's the exchange. You know, it's the times that we decide to respond to God finding us. That's what makes it a conversation. And it's, it's play. It's like 
it's hide and seek, you know, but it's, it's like God finds me, and then I find God, and then God finds me, and then he finds us, and then we work together, and it's this ongoing play of finding and being found. So what would it look like today to recover margin? What would it look like to recover margin in our lives? It's, it's well documented that many people across the world have lost what they feel like was margin through the pandemic, whether it's just I fell into a bad habit or my screen time went from four hours a day to 14 hours a day or whatever it is that changed. Um, when was the last time that you sat under a fig tree? I have a tendency to feel personally just to feel disoriented or to, to approach a major decision or something that's going on with a great amount of uncertainty. And, and wondering, I'm going, okay, God, is this really what you want me to do? Are you sure this is, am I going in the right direction? Because it seems crazy to me. And I just, I don't know that it's the right path. And I'm not really feeling like I'm the guy for the job anyways. So how's this going to go? And it's amazing how in moments of where that margin is there, uh, that, that, that clarity comes back. And it's like, okay, all right. The conversation is in play. And God is here. And God has discovered me, and it's going to be okay. Uh, a fig tree for me usually involves outdoors. Uh, it's really hard for me to go long periods of time and not be outside and have any sense of what's really going on in the world or what God thinks about anything. Uh, it's conversations with friends. It's conversation with friends on the phone and with some of you. It's also conversation with friends like John, you know, and this play of, Oh, I see what you're doing there. I've read that a hundred times and I just now saw what you did and I missed that. And it's those conversations. It's solitude. Right? It's finding just sneaking a minute of quiet where I can hear something besides my own thoughts. So maybe we can find some margin. Maybe we can find a fig tree. And when you feel vulnerable or exposed or unsure, or upside down or at a dead end or unclean or afraid... Know that Christ sees you, that he sees all of us. And it is the loving gaze of Jesus that will find us in those places. And we will rise like Nathaniel in strength and in courage to follow Jesus in this world. Amen.